Sales win rates have plummeted to a mere 17%, and outdated technology and tedious manual processes are to blame. Meanwhile, managers lack the visibility they need to hold their teams accountable. But imagine a world in which these crippling issues are solved automatically. Revenue.io automates the most frustrating parts of sales so reps can focus on what they do best, selling. Completely automate pre-call research, logging conversation data in your CRM, writing post-conversation recap emails, and prioritized outreach. And as reps book more meetings and close more deals, managers gain the real-time insight they need to scale what's working across their entire team. Ready to say goodbye to tedious sales processes and watch your win rate soar? Head over to Revenue.io to learn more. It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 725 of Accelerate. That's episode 725 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. I have another great episode lined up for you today. Joining me as my guest on this episode of Accelerate is John Crowley. John is the author of a book titled Knuckle Dragging Sales, a primitive process to make more money. And really the topic today is, have we made sales too complicated? Have we made sales too complex? You know, it's one of the key topics we're digging into. And I guess the question is, not necessarily that we've made it too complex, it's that we aren't doing a good job of preparing salespeople for the task of selling. I mean, maybe we're too obsessed with process, and as a result, we're not training our sellers how to actually sell. You know, are we sending our sellers off to compete, off to fight for business without the necessary grounding and the basics, the basic skills, the essential skills, as I call them, that they really need? So we get into this and much more today. Now, before I get to John, I want to take a quick second to talk about my sales growth planner. Now, this is the ultimate planner and tracker for high-performance sellers and sales leaders. The Sales House Sales Growth Planner is built to help you identify your big, bold sales goals and give you a step-by-step framework to enable the learning and growing you need to achieve them. So the Sales Growth Planner is designed to enable you to act on your highest priorities and ensure that you're holding yourself accountable. It's all based on a planning format that I've successfully used for over four decades in my own career as a top producer and high-growth sales leader. And the thought and effort you put into creating your plan will be repaid with interest at the end of 12 months. So become the best version of you. Visit thesaleshouse.com forward slash planner to get your growth planner today. That is thesaleshouse.com forward slash planner. All right, let's jump into it. John, welcome to the show. Andy, it's my pleasure. Uh, thank you for having me on. Well, it's a pleasure to finally talk to you. We've been talking about this for a while. As I was looking back on my notes, it's like, hmm, it's been a while since we were talking about having you on the show. So I'm glad we were finally able to make it happen. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. I hope we can provide some value for your listeners. I'm sure you will. So you're joining us today from? Nashville, Tennessee. Music City, home USA. Of Music City, yeah. There we go. Now, are you a musician by any chance? I am not. I've got very fat fingers, and there is nothing that these little pudgy little sausages are going to be able to play whatsoever. <laughs> and are you a country music fan? You know, when you live in Nashville, Tennessee, you have to adopt country music at some point in time. Mm-hmm. Would I call myself a fan? No. But do I listen to it and do I mind it? I listen to it and I don't mind it. So, mm-hmm. well, there you know, you go. Not, That's a good not a huge fan. <laughs> 
do you encounter, you know, music musicians, you know, celebs, you know, in your day to day life? Constantly, I live really? about a. I live about two miles away from Dolly Parton. Trace Adkins lives down the road. Uh, there's just tons of uh, musicians around here, and they're. I mean, you'll go to the the store, you'll go to the coffee shop, and you'll see somebody, and you go, "That is definitely somebody famous." I have yeah. no clue who it is, <laughs> but it's somebody famous because they do not look like the rest of us. Yeah, they got yeah. cool hair. Yeah. You know. Tight clothes, lots of tattoos, and clearly they're in the music industry. Right. Their jeans cost as much as my, my house payment, yeah. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm a big Dolly Parton fan. I mean, she's such a fabulous songwriter. And so, Yeah, she's done some wonderful things around here and out in East Tennessee, for sure. She's a wonderful lady. Yeah, I'd, I'd fanboy out if I saw her. So, um, Well, good. Well, thanks for joining us. So we're going to talk about sales, obviously, but you've written a book called Knuckle Dragging Sales. Um, interesting title. So where, where, where did that come from? Yeah. So, um, it, it actually came from, uh, it was on my LinkedIn profile. Originally I had that as my, just a knuckle dragging sales guy. And I got well, meaning one of what? two, when you were saying that, what did that, yeah. what did that mean for you? I got one of two responses from that. One was overwhelmingly positive and one was overwhelmingly negative. What it really means is, is going back into prehistoric times when, when things were much simpler. It was a time when you either hunted and gathered or you starved and died. And in today, in sales today, I think you persist and win or you quit and fail. So Knuckle dragging sales is not about going in with brute force and bashing your buyer or the gatekeeper over the head with a club. It's a de-evolution revolution designed to bring us back to simpler tactics that work. So when I say simple, I, I don't mean easy. Uh, you know, running is simple. Running a marathon is, is hard. Mm. Sales to me is the marathon of professions. All right. That's a good quote from your book, by the way. Um, yeah. So, well, let's, let's talk about that because... Um, you are in an environment in sales these days where, on one hand, there's increasing amount of specialization of roles, mm-hmm. yeah, especially with the growth of inside sales. There's sales development reps and business development reps that are focused on you know, proactive outbound or proactively responding to inbound leads, uh, you know, handing things off to account execs. How does, how does what you're talking about sort of fit into that scheme? Obviously, it's not the entire world, um, but you know, with what you're talking about, how does it fit into sort of this emerging sales you know, ecosystem that we have. So I think the reason that I, I came up with this book and the, the idea of this was me scratching my own itch. I spend a ton of time mentoring and coaching salespeople. And it was, it was so interesting when I talked to them and I would say, okay, how do you segment your customers? And Andy, I'd get totally silent mm. or I'd get total silence. And I'd say, how do you prioritize your time? And I get blank stares or I say, how do you, uh, what is your quota? What are your goals? And I would get crickets. And I just thought to myself, like, people how didn't do know their quota? People didn't know their quota. They didn't know what their goals were. They didn't know where they were tracking to their goals. And so this wasn't like a one-time occurrence or, or every other time. I mean, this was consistent that I was hearing over and over again. And they would come to me because they were confused. They would say, you know, I read this book and it was a great book and I'm not going to throw any under the bus. They're all fantastic. But I tried to implement that one new sales process into my existing process and it, it was a train wreck. And mm. that's when all of a sudden I realized that, you know, most good uh, companies that have a built-in sales process, they've got something already structured. And then by a rep going out and being proactive and trying to learn and, and 
you know, learn their craft mm -hmm. by reading those books. They were then trying to layer one process on top of another and they were conflicting. Mm -hmm. And so as we talked, I realized that let's get back to the basics of sales and then the other stuff will figure its way out. We'll figure out all the other stuff, mm -hmm. but you've got, you got to know your customers, your segmenting, you got to know your goals as the basics of what you do before you start anything else. Yeah. Well, I think there's, I agree with you on that hundred percent. I, I think the, there are more basics that are perhaps even more foundational than that that I talk about in terms of human selling skills and the ability to connect with another human being and form a relationship and so on. But it's the same theory is that I think that so often the training these days assumes a certain level of competence in the basics, which mm -hmm. just doesn't exist. And right. whether it's in the case of what I talk about in terms of the ability to just be able to ask good questions, the ability to be able to listen, to be able to be deliberate in how you deliver value uh, to what you're talking about in terms of understanding what's driving you, you know, what you're trying to achieve. Though I do find it really curious that that people aren't aware of their quota. But that's that's why do you think that is? I mean that that one sort of sticks with me. I because I want I want to dig on that a little bit. So why why do you think people just weren't aware of their quota? So where I see this most often happen is in big companies uh, where it's almost like a machine and the machine is so big for you to have any impact on that big machine. It requires just a tremendous amount of effort. And so a lot of these folks were complacent for lack of better words. Um, and they knew that every month, if they just be, they do the same type of behaviors, they would hit their quota. They wouldn't blow it out. They might miss it every now and again, but all in all, they were consistently hitting their quota. And it was just because the machine was so big for it to fail, it would have to be something catastrophic. Right. Um, but at the same time, they're craving, they want to do more. And I think what's happened is you, you talked about the basic assumptions that we have that, you know, certain salespeople will have certain skill sets. I think what happens is over time, as we take on more training, as we take on more guidance, as we read more books, we kind of lose track of some of that basics that we're supposed to always remain focused on before we go layering on additional techniques and skill sets. Yeah. I, I agree. We can stop the conversation now. <laughs> All right. Good job. Um, yeah, but and so why is that though? So why are we? And this is, I think, one of the failures of sales training, as it is mostly constituted in in companies, large and small, is yeah, focus on let's train people on things that are a little more arcane. Let, yeah, and maybe even more basic. That may well train them on our process, but. Mm -hmm. We don't really say, okay, are these people really even capable of competing to win a deal? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I'm interested in your take on this because I, I, my senses throughout, <laughs> and people listening are probably sick of hearing this, is that we've lost this emphasis on competition and winning mm -hmm. in so many cases in sales because of the process. People just think, oh, we can depend on the process. We're going to do a certain amount of things, and everybody's focused on the conversion metrics from stage to stage. And I call that playing the odds. And increasingly, mm -hmm. in some companies, they are just playing the odds. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of what you were talking about. You know, they can show up yeah. in these big companies, and they can be moderately competent, and enough things will happen that the odds are good. They'll hit their number or come close. And I see fewer people actually doing what it takes to sell and win. Yeah, I think I think that's an, that's an accurate statement. I would also add that I... I have found that the level of coaching has, it's either been de-emphasized de or it's just not being emphasized whatsoever. And so what's happening is 
the reps are taking it upon themselves to improve when they should have the guidance of a sales coach. Uh, and when I say coach, I mean like their, their manager mm. within the organization. I'm not saying they need they should go out and get coaching. Um, and what's happened there oh, I, is that I do. <laughs> yeah. it would be great. I, I'm just saying, I'm not trying yeah. to like sell my own product. That's yeah. all I'm saying. <laughs> That's okay. Um, you can promote yourself. Yeah. So I, and, and, and I think what's happened is we've, we've taken these top sales performers, put them into sales management and said, okay, you know, use the same skill sets that got you here to make everybody else better. And that's the big miss in this industry thus far is that we're really not training our sales managers to appropriately coach their reps. We're just throwing them in there and saying, Hey, sink or swim. Wish, I wish you all the best. Here's a pair of, uh, of uh, water wings and you're going to do your best to stay, stay afloat, but we're not giving them the training that they need. Well, and so I wonder about that. And yes, this is a conversation topic that, that is held a lot. And there was a big conversation uh, one listserv I follow that was on online last week about this is, and the the general tone was poor sales managers. We can't blame them for lack of coaching. They're not being given the tools and so on. But there has to be a certain self awareness among somebody who is a manager to say, look, I'm only going to succeed if my people succeed. Mm-hmm. Full stop. Right? I can't win if my people can't win. And so. It's like, okay, well, what's the message we're giving somebody? Granted, it'd be lovely if we gave people tools, but I never got that training. Mm-hmm. You know, I've managed big teams and growing teams and very successful teams. Yeah, it didn't take me more than a few, a few months to learn, hmm, this just isn't going to happen unless I make everybody else better, right? That's my job. My job is to make everybody else around me better. Um, you know, poor sales managers, you don't get it? Tough. Go find it. You know, there are resources out there. Read a book, you know, take a get hire a coach, hire a mentor, do something. Uh yeah, I'm sorry people aren't giving you the tools and tough luck. It's never been that way. Unlikely to change. But you have to, I think the basic self-awareness is, yeah, I I stand on the shoulders of people that that you know work for me and I need to make them better. I think that's a valid point. Um, I would also add that I think a lot of times what happens is when you take that sales professional and stick them into that managerial role, their mindset is, I was successful, so I'm going to teach everyone to do it my way. That's okay in certain instances, but Mm, when you've got multiple managers, uh, when you have very disparate personalities amongst your sales team, Mm -hmm. you can't plug everybody into the same the same socket as you do yourself. So you've got to come up with unique ways of coaching and motivating those salespeople. Um, but you're right. It, there is a certain amount of onus that they need to take it upon themselves to go and read some books, to listen to podcasts like this one. I mean, that's a great example. This is exactly where they should be going to, to get that development. But I don't even think that their sales leaders, a lot of the sales executives mm-hmm. know that these types of resources exist. <laughs> I think they're be. just they're going at their own pace and they're just trying to do a, a million things at, at once and they're not doing any of them successfully. I, I think you may be right on that. I th- yeah. Interesting point. And I think if we were to say, okay, what, what can we do best to help a frontline sales manager, you know, somebody newly promoted or someone that's been promoted, but struggling is, and I think you raise a, a key point. I mean, maybe we both raised a good point. One is, yeah, you got to take some responsibility for this yourself First level of mindset is you need to have the mindset to understand, look, I'm only going to succeed if my people succeed. And to your point is, 
everybody's unique, and there mm-hmm. is no one way. And I think this is this one way thing is is one of the things that really drives me nuts in sales. And you see it increasingly as people become more process obsessed, as I call it, mm-hmm. is that you know I think the the processes that dictates one way to sell. And you can't even really say that the processes have ever been proven out <laughs> because mm-hmm. given the fact that we industry research is showing that a poor level of quota attainment across the board in B2B sales, we can't say any of these processes are really successful mm-hmm. and certainly not on a uniform basis for every individual. And so we're trying to make everybody be a clone of someone else. And mm-hmm. I think the beauty of sales and the power of sales is when someone is themselves, you know, authentically the best version of themselves, not the best version of yeah, you know, somebody that's supposed to be cloned. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and, and it de- it depends on the organization. But what I have seen time and time again is that these sales processes that have been put in place have been put in place by sales leadership that maybe not have even that may not have ever carried the bag, and therefore they're pre- they're creating processes with no tribal knowledge whatsoever. And I think as you take a step back. And a better approach to that is everybody has a sales process, whether it's documented or not. You have one. Yes. It may just be tribal knowledge. So bringing in your, multiple- your personal sales process. That's right. That's yes, exactly your personal, right. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And so by bringing in multiple people with with different personality types. I mean, these days, most companies do some sort of personality test, but bringing a variety of people with different personalities and mapping out all of their different sales processes and then looking at it and saying, okay, where are there duplications that we can simplify? Where are there unique ways, unique steps within your sales process that maybe other ones could or should adopt? And then you come up with one that has, you've got buy-in from multiple people throughout the organization. I personally think that's the best way to go about creating a sales process versus the dictator. This is the sales process. You've got to stick to it because people just don't respond to that. Well, I think that part of what's driving that is that we have all these wonderful new tools that exist in sales is, is they do create data and the data is used to say, okay, we've got metrics now or keep KPIs. We can establish looking at these data and it sort of, you know, pushes this trend toward conformity where I think it's, yeah, you know, in sales, it's the people who succeed, and you sort of allude to this in your book to some degree, is the people who succeed are the nonconformists, mm-hmm. the top performers. Yes. Yeah, it's being different. It's mm-hmm. the people that look at the way everybody else, in particular the competition, is, is going about doing business, and they say, okay, I can't do it better than you because trying to do things better is just a downward spiral. Mm-hmm. Like if I do something faster than you, then you're going to turn around the next week and do it faster than me. But by doing something different, that makes you unique, and that's your unique selling proposition. So yeah, I'm a big advocate, huge advocate of doing things different as opposed to better. Yeah. Well, I've, I've frustrated many Many managers during my career <laughs> uh-huh. who, 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 yeah, just wanted me to follow the script and the recipe. And it was like, yeah, I could do that. But if it doesn't work for me, I'm the one who gets fired, not you. But so, again, Andy, so I'd rather go. I'd rather go out on my terms. That's a, that's a valid point, but again, that is a personality type. I think you can diagnose those people that have your independent personality types versus those that are the conformists. That if you say, "Do it this way," this is going to work, then those types of people work well in that type of oh, environment. Yeah. No, I would be weeded out in a heartbeat these days with personality right. tests and so on. It's like, oh yeah, no. I mean, I'm the ultimate team player, but yeah, I doesn't mean I'm. Not, I'm not, I don't see credit, you know, bring people together. 
Sure. But yeah, I'm going to do it my way. Yeah, I think it's going to. And it's funny, I did take actually a personality test uh, I don't know, last year sometime, one that reasonably well known. And uh, yeah, yeah, I was completely unsuitable for a sales career. <laughs> <laughs> According to the results, the guy that right. was one of the principals of the company and gave it to me says, were you trying to game this or something? I said, no. <laughs> but I think that's you know, the weakness of those assessments too. But anyway. I, I, I agree. Sometimes those people are the best salespeople. Well, the you, ones want, that- you want that. Yeah, I want people who are curious, who are different, who have their own way of looking at things. I don't mind people that are idiosyncratic. Uh, I'm not heavily, <laughs> maybe I have my own idiosyncrasies, but but yeah, the curious and you know, unique way of looking at the world. Those for me are the people I've always been the ones I want to work with and and have worked for and have hired to work for me. It's it's like, yeah, I, I'm about one time I remember in a job uh, startup we brought in a senior salesperson who came highly recommended by a board member and was sort of out of this environment you talked about a big company just sort of had to show up and the big company was on a hot streak and everybody was killing it. It had nothing really to do with the salespeople, but the board right. members all thought they did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and this person was just a absolute disaster. Um, but, hey, fit the profile perfectly. When you got your personality um, results, were, <laughs> would you say that you were more fit for a sales manager than a sales rep? Uh, yeah, I don't think they, they were testing that at the time. Um but I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. Yeah, I, the thing is, yeah, not everybody who's in sales. And this is, I think, one of the things that that still goes on, perhaps less perhaps than it, than it might have before. But certainly when I started my career, the whole emphasis was there really weren't a lot of career salespeople. They were sort of going through an era in the sort of early days of the tech business and so on. As, you know, you were up or out pretty much. Mm-hmm. And... Mm-hmm. And finally, then things start shifting even after about 10, 15 years where it's like, well, no, we got all these great senior people who tried management, decided they didn't want to do it, but fabulous salespeople. Mm-hmm. Let's make room for them. Uh, and so I think there's sort of less of that, you got to be one or the other, or you have to go from one to the next. And I think, mm-hmm. yeah, I think now there seems to be more acceptance, hopefully, of people just are really good at sales and just want to be career sales professionals. And that's fantastic. You know, they don't have to be a manager. Yeah, the the majority of my work is in the healthcare space, mm-hmm. and I would say that the uh, by and large, the healthcare companies have embraced career salespeople, and they're some of the best, right? Mm-hmm. They are steady, Stevens. You can always, you know, be assured that they're going to come in at quota or slightly above. You're not going to have 150 or 200 percent to quota a year, but you know, you're going to get this these steady Steve uh, every time. And so, in well, the healthcare people space, like that. yeah, you, you hire a team. Actually, my. <laughs> For those on my email list, even though this you're going to hear this several months after we record it, but the day we're recording it, my email that went out to my my followers was all about, yeah, you don't hire individuals, you hire a team. Mm-hmm. And you need to have people of all ability, different ability levels and different perspectives and personalities that complement each other to, to be effective. Totally agree, especially in a more consultative sale. If you've got that transactional stick to the script, then that's the that's the place yeah. where you can hire that that same exact personality type, and you just put them through. But you can almost guarantee they're not going to be sticking around for a long time. No, no, and this is I think a an issue that some enterprise oriented sales teams are having now with with sort of their special hyper specialization roles is that you know the, the entry level roles are 
that's tough work. Yeah, especially phone based, making a ton of dials a day, um, and they're not getting nurtured and developed, and you know, see the light at the end of the tunnel, the way that that certainly we may have earlier in our careers. And yeah, I, I sort of despair a little bit that that we're not grooming enough people in the right way to come through these entry level jobs and really, you know, move into more consultative type selling roles because they're doing a, you know, something that's very transactional up front. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to set a meeting for an accounting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh But it's just the tip of what is a consultative sale. So, yeah, I worry about that structure in terms of being able to groom future sellers. What makes it even more complicated is you've got this millennial generation who craves that feedback. They they want the feedback. They want to be coached. They also want to move up the career ladder pretty quickly. So you've got a an opposing dynamic within the within that scenario yeah. that uh, makes it very difficult to make the company happy as well as the salespeople happy. Yeah, well, I, but I think this is one of the issues, and certainly one that that we're trying to address in my business and the sales house is that. Yeah, we're not doing a good enough job uh, as a profession of showing people where the opportunities are going to come from and what they need to do individually mm-hmm. in order to be successful in those future roles. Mm-hmm. And this is a problem, right? Because you know, companies have scaled back sales training or, again, sales training is all process-oriented. And this idea, back to a point you made before about coaching, is coaching tends to be very opportunity-oriented when they do one-on-one time as opposed to mentoring, which I, I will say call it mentoring, right? As a manager mm-hmm. is how do I, mentoring being, how do I develop this person, help this person develop as an individual, not just do I help them close more deals. And so we're ignoring that whole development side of things. That's a big gap. And you're, I, I agree with you a hundred percent on that. We are missing the development piece and we're, we're more about, I mean, I think we're missing both the mentoring and the coaching, but Ultimately, the underlying miss is the development of our people. And uh, it's something they're craving. It's something we've got to figure out if we want to be able to keep this generation in these types of roles. Because they're not going to keep doing it if, if things don't change. Yeah. So I think as a manager, and I've spoken this recently at a conference, is that if you're a frontline sales manager and you're saying, okay, well, how do I spend my time? Right? Because, all right, great. We've got this whole brouhaha going on about not enough coaching or I'm not giving you enough tools to coach and so on. But to a point you made sort of earlier in terms of just really understanding what your the basics is how you allocate your time as a frontline manager is a good place to start, right? If you understand how you should be allocating your time and at what tasks, then maybe you have some clarity. And maybe then you can start saying, okay, well, maybe I as a manager need help in these areas. So for me, I was laid out there is, is I have this acronym I use called POPE, P-O-P-E. Mm-hmm. And first PS, it's process opportunities, people, education, right? And that's how you should divide your time. You know, so I'd say 40% on process. You know, it's building your organization, building your capacities, right, as an organization. That could be your process, your training, da-da-da-da-da. You probably should spend 30% of your time on opportunities, right? Working with people, helping people succeed in the tactical sense. Mm-hmm. Second P is people spend 20% of your time with individuals, helping them develop. What do they need? This is, you know, creating their personal learning path to help them get better. And then the last 10% is 10% of your time should be spent on learning. You yourself, either learning or in a group activity, learning, helping your team learn. And 40, 30, 20, 10, 
process, opportunities, people, education. And I think if you do that, you're going to be in good shape. What do you think that waiting is in a typical organization with a typical manager? <laughs> uh, right now, I think it's about 80% on process. And really? yeah, and people get virtually nothing. I mean, I've sat through conferences with people talk about, hey, we don't do one on one coaching anymore because, you know, there's, or we don't do one on ones anymore because we don't get any value out of them. Well, it's like, well, you're not the one that's supposed to be getting the value out of it as a manager. <laughs> it's the person that gets the value out of it. And just the way that's, this guy said he's a VP of sales at this good size software company. I'm just, you could probably hear me rolling my eyes in the audience. It's like, dude, it's not for you. It's for them. But it's, it's this is this is the issue, right? Is we've got managers with who have completely wrong context for for you know one on ones and working with their people and developing their people and prioritizing how to help people get better. And so I think that these days, you know, we all hear stories about especially and you know, companies are driven more by metrics and so on. You got metrics jockeys, you know, managers are turning the metrics jockeys. They're just managing the numbers in part because they have to report on the numbers. So to the senior people who, to your point earlier, never really carried a bag and don't understand. And um and people think that that's, you know, the numbers are the whole story. I think it's interesting, the dynamics, because it, it sounds like you spend most of your time in that tech space. I spend most of my time in the healthcare space. Mm. I would say 80% of the time is spent on opportunity. And mm. what's happened is the, is the sales managers are nothing more than mega reps. So as soon as the rep runs into a little objection they can't handle or whatever, mm. then they call in the manager to, to rescue them and fix it. And I would say the other- it Sounds like car sales. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And that, in healthcare, that's the way it feels because you know the the business of healthcare has been around for a long time, and 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 these companies are it's very incestuous. You know, there are people that that start off in one company and they move to mm -hmm. all these other different companies, and they just take that same process with them. So I would say most healthcare company has companies have very similar processes that they have not adapt adapted or adopted in any way, shape, or form. Right, and then they spend a lot of time because rather than being salespeople, they're more they're more public relations reps. They're out there giving information. They're not closing the entire deal, which is a big, the big difference between yeah. healthcare and tech. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. I think it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, actually. And so what we're doing in the sales house is we're actually a broad mix. So we got lots of just you know, traditional industries, people representing. And, and this is to me is the most interesting group of people in sales these days, because you know, in the tech business, they spend all, they spend a lot of money investing in the latest sort of tools and technologies for sales. Um, whereas in more traditional industries and certainly smaller businesses that aren't tech driven, uh, yeah, it's they haven't, and it's it's a lot of. I don't say it's the same as it's been. It's, they're sort of struggling. So well, how do we adapt uh, to this this environment? And uh, yeah, I think some of the advice you give in your book and you know, talking about basics is is really what these companies really need. I, actually, all companies need it, but these in particular, because, yeah, it's easy to get seduced by the promise of, well, we can automate this process and this will mm -hmm. really work for you. And mm -hmm. Yeah, it doesn't work for everybody. So, um, well, John, unfortunately, we've got a running out of time here. So before we go is, and this has been a fantastic conversation, we'll have you back and we'll do it again. Great, is, thank you. Um, how people get in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing? 
So the best way is to get in touch with me is to go to knuckledraggingsales.com. It's my website. You can get in touch with me. I've got lots of freebies up there. Anything that you can imagine, uh, a lot of free uh, value adds and feel mm-hmm. free to download anything you want, but knuckledraggingsales.com. Perfect. Perfect. And if you're in Nashville, maybe look me up. You. Look them up. There you go. Yeah. All right. Well, John, it's been fantastic. Appreciate you taking the time. And like I said, we'll look forward to doing it again. Andy, I thoroughly enjoyed it. My Thanks. pleasure. Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for this week. First of all, as always, I want to thank you for joining me. I also want to thank my guest today, John Crowley. Join me again next week as my guest will be Bill Wilson. Bill's the co-founder and CEO at SalesRight Company. And we're going to be talking about how to present your pricing to help you close late-stage opportunities. So be sure to join us then. And before you go, don't forget to check out The Sales House. It is the Sales Performance Accelerator for B2B sellers just like you, visit thesaleshouse.com forward slash accelerate for a special offer, offer just for the listeners of this show. So look forward to seeing you there. So thanks again for joining me. Until next week, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Hey, sales strategists. At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales. We're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams, and we're featured in the most recent Forrester Waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With Revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations, and after calls, we generate ready-to-send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at revenue.io.